0: Welcome to Matthew's World of Wine and Drink, an educational podcast dedicated to teaching you all about the wines of the world, the different regions, the different grape varieties, the different styles of wine, and the history and culture of wine. In this final episode on our series on sparkling wine, I look at the Americas. So looking at the USA, particularly California, Chile and Argentina, and also some of the smaller wine producing countries of the two continents. So let's start by looking at the USA and focusing on California. Wine production in California goes all the way back to the 19th century but it's only since the Second World War that um, the wine production has um, really focused on quality and become known internationally, particularly with the success of Napa Valley and outward investments in the 50s and 60s leading it to becoming to international attention in the 1970s. And now California is one of the most famous and largest wine producing regions in the world. For sparkling wine. The year that uh, quality production really began was 1965, and this is when the Davies family invested in California, in Napa Valley, with the Schramsberg Winery. And This is an historic property which goes back to the 1860s when uh, Jacob Schramm, a German immigrant, established his winery, and this is a winery that uh, Robert Louis Stevenson visited in the 1880s and was very well known, and it had fallen into disrepair and disuse. And they bought the property, hoping to emulate the wines of Champagne which they had visited and loved. However, this is the literally the hottest part of Napa Valley and completely unsuitable for sparkling wine production. But nevertheless, that was the site they bought, they planted grapes there, and they made sparkling wine from that property. And there, Blanc de Blancs was made and was served by Nixon at the famous summit with the Chinese in 1970 and so the wine became known nationally, and that really built the reputation of Schramsberg, which they uh, developed so that by the 1980s it was known as the premium winery of California for sparkling wine production. But there's been a lot of changes since 1965. They realized that the property they had bought was far too warm for consistently quality sparkling wine production, and so they now own or source grapes from vineyards in cooler parts of California, particularly Carneros, Sonoma Coast and Mendocino. So realizing that California does have these cooler areas for sparkling wine grapes to be grown. And this uh, development has been helped by other producers being established. So another important domestic producer is Iron Horse. They bought their property in 1976 in Russian River Valley. Quite a, It's quite a wild place and it's still quite isolated. It's called Iron Horse because it's where the railway used to pass through and Russian River Valley is much more suited to the production of sparkling wine than Napa Valley is, because of the cooling influence from the coast and the fog that comes in. There's also been a lot of outward investment which has helped. Mowatay Chandon bought their property in 1973, Tatinjay in 1982, and Mumm established their property in 1987, and then also Freixenet, the Cava giant, bought their property in the 1980s, and their winery is called Gloria Ferrer. Uh, Moetish Shandon's is called Domaine Shandon, and Tatanjay is called Domaine Carneros. All these wineries are established on the tourist routes in Carneros and in Napa Valley, and that's really why these wineries were established by these big producers, to make money, to put it bluntly. And these really are hotbeds for tourists, that are always heaving, with coach loads of uh, visitors coming in from San Francisco and elsewhere. One champagne producer which did not look for the tourist route but actually wanted to produce high quality sparkling wine was Louis Roederer. And their reasons for doing so were not completely honorable. They um were really concerned when François Mitterrand became president of France in 1981 because he was socialist and they were afraid that he would raise the taxes and Louis Roederer being a good champagne um, capitalist did not want to pay lots of taxes to the government so they thought let's write off this money by investing it in California and they didn't really believe that they would be able to make high-quality sparkling wine but they thought they'd rather waste their money trying in California than give it to the government and so they spent a couple of years researching and bought property in Mendocino where nothing No wineries were there at that time, and it's very wild and remote and still is today. But they bought their property there believing that was where they could make higher quality sparkling wine than in the warmer parts of Sonoma and Napa. And they were right, this is by far the highest quality sparkling wine producer in California. All the other producers are good. Transburg has a good reputation, and deservedly so, but Roeder Estate is a step up from those wines, and that's because they are in a much cooler part of California, further north. Mendocino is about three hours north of Napa, and so that bit cooler. And that, of course, is the challenge in California. It has a Mediterranean climate. All the best vineyards for still wine, as well as for sparkling, have some coastal influence. For sparkling wine, it's Carneros, Russian River Valley, Sonoma Coast, and Anderson Valley in Mendocino, where Ruder Estate are located. And it's about the challenge of getting the acidity and the sugar in perfect balance. For many of these producers, they have to pick the grapes quite a bit earlier than still wine grapes are picked. Momo who is the first in Napa Valley to harvest as early as late July, and that can be two months or more before. Cabernet Sauvignon, for instance, is harvested. And those grapes will have really high acidity, but won't be particularly complex because they haven't got the full uh, phenolic ripeness. So getting that balance is quite hard, which is why a lot of the California sparkling wines are quite simple, apart from those producers which are really going for the cool climate sites. The best producers all use the traditional method. There are local producers who will use the tank method, but they will not be exported. Most of the wines are Brut, that's the most popular style, and making a vintage wine here is not difficult, and if so, it must be 95% of the wine. And if a, if there is an AVA on the label, which is usually the case, it will be 85% from that AVA, so an AVA being an American Viticultural Area indicating where the wine comes from. So that's uh, California. Other states in the US do make sparkling wine. Oregon actually has the ideal conditions for sparkling wine production, but in contrast to California there's been little investment from Champagne houses or from Cava, and local producers don't really focus on sparkling wine either, so very little sparkling wine is made here, despite the fact that the cooler conditions of Oregon suggest that very good sparkling wine should be made. A couple of producers that have focused on sparkling wine include Argyle and Sota, and these wines are good without being particularly memorable. The wines we made from Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. But other grape varieties are also used, such as Muscat, Pinot Gris, Riesling and Muller Thurgau. So it will be interesting to see if more sparkling wine is made in the future. Washington has a very different climate from Oregon. Oregon is near the coast, it's quite wet and quite cool. Washington is inland and has desert conditions and is much warmer, but also has a wide diurnal range. It's a continental climate, so the days are really hot, but the nights are cool. So again, it has the potential for sparkling wine production, but very little is made here. And again, we'll have to see what happens in the future. But what sparkling wine is made here is usually from Chardonnay, though Riesling and Pinot Noir may also be used. Going to the other side of the country, New York has a long rich tradition of winemaking, but it's mainly been from American grape varieties rather than the European Vitis Vinifera. But the cool conditions of New York should be ideal for sparkling wine, and indeed there are some good producers based here as the focus goes towards Vitis Vinifera and quality wine. So New York's a state which is very much in transition. There are a handful of producers making very good wine in Finger Lakes or um, Long Island, so that's another region to look out for. Canada also has good conditions for sparkling wine, just moving out of the U.S., but very little is made here. There's been very little focus on sparkling wine, and what sparkling wine is made isn't exported too much. It's really hard to find. but. The wine production concentrates on Ontario, which is the other side of Finger Lakes in New York. So again, ideal conditions here. This is where a lot of ice wine is made. And then British Columbia has a more continental climate. It's north of Washington, so very similar. And again, has the conditions for sparkling wine production and maybe a region to look out for in the future. Moving southwards, away from Canada and the US to Mexico, just briefly mention that Freixenet have invested in Mexico. And their winery there is called Salavive. And this... um, Is north of Mexico City at high altitudes, obviously very hot conditions, but higher altitude cooling everything down. And I have not tasted these wines, but apparently they are better than Freixionet's wines, and that is not hard to believe. Moving to South America, to Argentina. And Argentina, of these countries, has the longest tradition of sparkling wine production because Moeté Chandon invested here in 1960, and that was the first property that they bought outside of France, and they are still there today in Mendoza. The property is called Domaine Chandon, as it is in California and also in Australia, where they have their winery in Yarra Valley, and they are still the market leader, both for quantity, making wines from the tank method, and also for quality, making wines from the traditional method. The real focus for sparkling wine production in Argentina is Uco Valley which towers above Mendoza. Mendoza is 750 meters above sea level, Uco Valley is well over a thousand and Argentina is all about altitude. The higher it is the cooler the conditions are and so for sparkling wine production you're really looking for that high altitude to maintain that high acidity and making sure there's not too much sugar in the grapes. And Mum, the champagne producer who've invested in Napa, have also invested in Uco Valley. Another region to look for is Patagonia, which is much further south. And this has been the subject of increased focus for still wine as well as sparkling wine because it is much cooler. And this is where Argentina's best Pinot Noir is produced. And that is used for sparkling wine as well as Chardonnay as well. Chenin Blanc is also used in Argentina for sparkling wine. And then there is sparkling red wine made as well from Bernarda and Shiraz. So sparkling Shiraz-like Australia, And then Sparkling Banada is a fun, easy-drinking sparkling red wine. And one producer to look out for is Alma Four, or Alma Quattro, and this is owned by Sebastián Zuccardi, Zuccardi being one of the big producers of Argentina, and they make a sparkling wine which is extremely drinkable. Moving westward to Chile, the other side of the Andes, Chile hasn't had much um, interest in sparkling wine until recently, and that's mainly because the focus has been on the warmer areas of Chile for the production of inexpensive, easy-drinking red wine. But as Chilean producers have looked towards the cooler climates of the country for the production of still wine, more sparkling wine has been produced. And so these areas include Lamari, Casablanca, and Lider, which are all uh, quite close to each other near the city of Valparaiso, near the coast and so they're producing high quality cooler climate wines with higher acidity and a lot of the producers are making sparkling wine in quite small quantities for local consumption but some of the big producers are leading the drive as well Concha y Toro, Cono Sur and Miguel Torres are all making sparkling wine which will be exported. Another region that sparkling wine is being made in is Biobio Bio, and this is much further south so like Patagonia in Argentina much cooler because it's further south, and that will be ideal for sparkling wine production, and we'll have to see what comes out of there, because this is all still quite new. A smaller producer to look out for is Undorraga, which um, are exported and are beginning to make sparkling wine. And then we'll just finish by quickly looking at Brazil. Brazil is a vast country, and most of it is tropical and not suited for the, for the production of wine at all. But there is a small area which has seen increased focus, and that is Serra Gaucha, and this is on the border of Uruguay, so it's the south of the country. And the focus has really been on sparkling wine, with the belief that this will be the best wine that Brazil can produce. And indeed, sparkling wine has been made here since 1915, so there's over 100 years of sparkling wine production. And Shandon invested here in 1973 and the first DO in Brazil is in Serra Gaúcha and this is Valdos Vinhedos and this DO is for sparkling wine 60% Chardonnay or Pinot Noir, that's the minimum, and it has to be the traditional method with nine months on the Lees. The climate here is a maritime tropical crossover with a maritime influence coming from the Atlantic Ocean. It's a very similar climate to Uruguay's, and Uruguay has a very similar climate to Bordeaux, just to put that in some context. And production of sparkling wine has mushroomed over the last ten years or so, from virtually nothing to being a really the dominant wine Um, in Brazil. Still not much of it is exported and that's because the quality is fairly average. It is the best wine made in Brazil but it's still not that interesting. Perhaps the most fun wine in Brazil is Moscatel which is made like Asti, so sweet and easy drinking. So that's the Americas, going all the way from Canada down to Argentina and Chile. Lots of new developments, only really going back to the 60s for Argentina and the US, and then for countries like Chile and Brazil, it's still very new. So lots to look out for in the future. So thank you for listening. This is Matthew, and this has been Matthew's World of Wine and Drink.